0: Ask for the Lord's help, and uh, as I need the Lord's help to preach His Word faithfully, uh, you also need the Lord's help to receive the Word, and uh, so let's just together come together as a family and ask for the Lord's help. God, we uh, trust that you are going to help us, and uh, you have sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts who leads us into the truth, and He takes what is yours and He delivers it, delivers it to us, and so thank you for the words, Holy Spirit, that you wrote. That you gave to us, help us understand. And uh, Holy Spirit, you would work in each heart in here. I pray for the hearts of the men and women that are in this room, that from them would continue, and then maybe from a new heart this morning, there would be rivers of water flowing from their heart, living water flowing from their heart this morning. Holy Spirit, move in power to the glory and the honor of Jesus' name. Amen. All right. John chapter 7. John chapter 7 is... Uh, where we get insight to the Feast of Booths. Jesus goes into Jerusalem after waiting for a little while for his father's cue as to when to go into Jerusalem to the Feast. And we've kind of got three different scenes in John chapter 7. So we have Jesus before the Feast and his dealings with his brothers and some, some other people. And then we have Jesus at the middle of the Feast when he reveals himself, he goes into the temple, begins to teach and then Jesus on the last day of the feast. And so we're kind of kind of work through this uh, in, in bigger chunks here this morning. but I have a few questions before we get started this morning and uh, and these questions get to the heart of why we exist, why we live? are we being satisfied? Are we happy? our desires, the deepest desires of our hearts being fulfilled? Is your heart satisfied? Is your heart satisfied? Internally, are you a satisfied person? Are you happy? Are your deepest desires met? Do you find yourself longing for more and more things, more and more experiences, more and more fill in the blank? Are you a satisfied person? Is your heart satisfied? Or do you lay your head on the pillow at night and imagine, boy, life would be great if this would happen? Boy, life would be great if I could get here. Boy, life would be great if, when, then, all these different questions, longings within your heart. William Wallace, uh, the great movie Braveheart, which if you're a man, you probably enjoy, probably enjoy. He said this, every man dies, but not every man really lives. Every man dies, say every woman dies, every man and woman, they die, but not everyone truly lives. So are you happy or do you just laugh a lot? Robin Williams laughed a lot, but he was not a happy man. And sometimes happiness gives you just, excuse me, sometimes laughter gives you just enough happiness to steal true happiness from you. It's just satisfying enough. Just laughing your way through life. Are you happy or you just laugh a lot? There's a huge difference. Many depressed people can smile and laugh their guts out. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Let me read that again. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Uh, this morning we're going to look at a passage, and Jesus is going to lead us up to this passage. This, this whole chapter flows to verses 37, 38, and 39, and then the rest of the chapter flows from that. There's a central point. There's a bullseye. Jesus brings us to the last day of the festival. When he gets up, John gives us uh, insight to what Jesus teaches and says. He, he stands up and he shouts something to this crowd who is longing for something, who are trying to satisfy themselves through religious ritual and external morality, external righteousness. Jesus shouts something to them that is so, so, so profound and such good news. And so this is where we're going today. We're going to talk about living water coming from the heart. I'm going to to read the the verses that are the central verses to the passage, and then we'll slowly get there, and then we'll uh, uh, end there as well. So look at verse 37 in John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast... The great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water from the heart. On the last day of the feast, the feast of booze, the feast of tabernacles, whatever you want to call it, Jesus stands up and he says these words. So let's get there. First, verses 1 through 13, we get the pre-feast, pre-festival scene. Look with me in verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, and He would not go about in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill Him. Now the Feast of Booths was at hand. Let's go ahead and pause. The Feast of Booths. What is the Feast of Booths? Already we've been introduced to the Passover in John, in the book of John. And now we're brought to this Jewish festival, the Feast of Booths. And we have to ask the question, okay, what is the Feast of Booths? So we can kind of know. And good, I'm glad you asked. Leviticus 23 uh, goes through the the feasts that God established for His people, the Jewish people. And during the year, the Jewish people would celebrate these different festivals or feasts, and it would be a way that they could honor God and they could remember back what God had done for them. Well, this feast, which was in the seventh month in the Jewish calendar, the actual word, the Jewish word for this month is Tishri, I believe. Tishri, Tishri, however you pronounce it, and it would be on our calendar, the Greek calendar, in September, October. So we're looking at it somewhere in the fall. And this festival would have been a seven-day festival in which they would have gone to Jerusalem and set up temporary dwelling places out of branches, out of sticks or whatever, and they would live in these booths for seven days as they celebrate the time when God provided for them in the wilderness, So the people of Israel were brought out of slavery from Egypt and into the wilderness, and they wandered around for 40 years. And during those 40 years, they dwelled in temporary dwellings, and so they would build little places. God would provide for them food and manna in the wilderness. They would God would continually over and over again, even though the people of God complained, and I heard a preacher joke one time that we're so thankful that the people of God today are so much different than that now, right? Uh, Margaret Samuel, she goes, <laughs> yeah. Okay, thanks, Margaret. Uh, it's the way we, we can sometimes be a complaining people still. They were wandering around in the desert, who wouldn't complain in the desert, right? I mean, wandering around, it's hot. I mean, goodness gracious, it's just, oh, it's done. there's sand. What's the weather tomorrow? Hot. What's the weather the next day? Hot. What's the you know, weather the next day? Hot. Um, God had provided for them over and over and over. They were complaining over and over and over again, but still yet God provided. So when God, after all the generation of complainers died, and Moses kicks the bucket, Joshua leads the people of God into the promised land. And then these feasts or this festival is meant for them to remember, time in, time out, year in, year out, every seventh month of every single year, we're going to remember how God provided for us in the wilderness. This is the feast that he's going to be a part of. So what happens is there begins to be a dialogue with his brothers. We get some interesting uh, insight into the fact that early on in Jesus' ministry, when he's 30-something years old, 31 years old, uh, his own brothers did not believe that he was actually the Messiah. His own brothers did not believe in him. And they're telling him, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, you need to go and reveal yourself in Jerusalem. Are you going to go up to the feast? If, if you are who you say you are, stop being so private about it and start being public about it. So Jesus, you need to go into Jerusalem and that, you know, his brothers, they're... Uh, you know, younger, but they think that they should tell Jesus what to do. And so uh, Jesus tells them, sorry, I'm not going up right now. It's not the right time. I follow my father's bidding and I'm not going to go yet. We find out here in a minute that he does go here in a few days, but he waits. His brothers go. He says, go to them. You go, you go into Jerusalem. You go to the feast. I'm not going Yet. This is interesting. The reason cited is that Jesus knew that at this point in Jerusalem, there was such hostility against him that if he was, go, if, if he was to go up a couple days early, it actually says that the Jews were seeking to kill him. And he knew that. And so he wanted to follow his father's leading and go at the appropriate time when it would, when it would be a little bit safer. Jesus is not scared of adversity. But he waits for the, his father's perfect timing to be the perfect way for the people to receive him. So, this is the festival, this is the feast, this is the scene. So, there begins to be in verse 7 to 13 a theme that kind of emerges, even from the the household of Jesus, even within his brothers, of just questions in John chapter 7 about who Jesus is. Continuing on, when Jesus shows up at the festival mid feast, look at verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is this man has learning when he has never studied? Go ahead and pause. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Jesus was a blue-collar worker. He had a father who was a construction worker. He was a carpenter. Jesus did not have formal rabbinical training. So he would have worked alongside his father. He would have been building chairs or building whatever you built back there as a carpenter, building homes or, or whatever, but he would have worked alongside with his father, Joseph. And this is really unique to me. Um, Working a job, Jesus decided to come in a time that there was no air conditioning, for one. Okay? Like, and secondly, he worked a job that was a manual labor job. And he did this with a perfect attitude, with a perfect heart, every single day. Like, Jesus was a hard worker. He worked with his father, worked with his hands, had calluses, I'm sure, Okay, I mean if you were to see his hands, it looked like a carpenter's hands, worked hard, required muscle, this was Jesus, day in, day out, faithful in the very mundane life. Going about his business, going about his father's business, doing what he's supposed to do, being obedient to the law, fulfilling the law, even internally, this was Jesus' life. But the people, when they began to hear him teach, were in awe. Hey, if somebody is going to teach with so much profound wisdom and insight and authority, wouldn't it be those who had the appropriate learning? Right? You would think, but here is Jesus, and he is teaching with authority and teaching with clarity. And the people are in wonder and awe. How is it that this man is teaching when he is a construction worker? So there are other thoughts about Jesus. There is awe. There is wonder. The word actually says and uses the word marveled. The, the Jews marveled. So his brothers are questioning who exactly he is. This crowd in Jerusalem so far is marveling, but it continues to go on. Look with me. And actually, I skipped a little part before in verse 11. Back up real quick, and hopefully that will serve the point of telling you why we're backing up. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? There was much muttering about him, about him, about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. And so, really, in Jerusalem, there's this hotbed of questions. There's these longings, there's these wonderings. Who is this Jesus? Is he going to come to the festival? We've heard about what he's been doing. Is he going to come to the feast? Is he just a good man? Is he the prophet? Is he the Messiah? How could he be anything less than a prophet or who he says he is and still do the things that he is doing? So really, in Jerusalem, there is just a hotbed of conversation, of dialogue. There's fear because they're afraid of what the Jews will do to them if they hear them talking about this Jesus. And so questions are fluttering about in the minds of the people as to who this Jesus is, when he's going to show up, what he's going to say. So middle of the feast, he says, when he shows up, a few things that are just really interesting to note. Verse 15, uh, Jesus says that he has learning that comes from the Father. Verse 18, he tells us his purpose for being in Jerusalem, but for being here in general also. His central purpose is that I am here for his, my Father's glory. He was here in Jerusalem on this earth for his Father's glory. That's verse 18. Verse 19, he says to them some things that they didn't like. He said, you do not keep the law, and yet you want to kill me. Verse 19, you can see it. Has not most Moses given you the law? yet not one of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Now, if you're in Jerusalem for the feast, the very feast that God commanded for His people to do, doesn't it seem pretty obvious that the people are doing what Moses told them to do? Like, couldn't they answer back, what are you talking about, Jesus? We're we're disobeying Moses. We're here at the feast. We're at the festival. We're celebrating who you, you're saying he's your father, we're celebrating God's provision for us in the wilderness. What do you mean that we're not following the law? And then he reads their hearts and tells them their hearts, some of the hearts of the people. He says, and you seek to kill me. Well, they didn't like that. They asked, who is seeking to kill me? Jesus answered them, this is verse 21. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus pretty much says to them, you want to kill me, and you're very hypocritical. You're very hypocritical. He pulls a flip on him. You're upset with me for healing on the Sabbath, doing good to a man? While you break the Sabbath, when you circumcise somebody who was born on a Friday, eight days later, they're on Saturday, there's a Saturday, and they're having to circumcise and do work on the Sabbath to circumcise somebody, and he's pulling out how silly it is that they're getting upset with him for healing on the Sabbath. So he is pulling out and calling out their hypocrisy. Well, the middle of the feast continues, and as the week goes on, there are more and more questions about Jesus. And can't you imagine you you know you're you're feasting, you're hanging out, your you know your neighbor friend here who has their temporary dwelling, their booth, and uh, and then your neighbor over here, and you're sitting around the fire at night, and you're saying, hey, uh, what do you think about this Jesus? What do you think about him? Did you hear him over there earlier today? He was telling us that. We don't believe in the law of Moses, and we're actually hypocritical, and he told us that we want to kill him. What do you think about this guy? Do you think that maybe the Jewish leaders know that somehow or another is Why don't they arrest him? Maybe they're not arresting him because they know who he is who he says he is, or I just don't know what's going on. What do you think? Well, I don't know. Can't you almost hear the dialogue back and forth in Jerusalem during this festival of wondering, who is this Jesus? What's He doing here? What's He saying? What do the authorities actually think and believe about Him? Some want to arrest Jesus. Some believed in Jesus. And some recognized the signs that He was doing and recognized the Jesus behind the signs. Look at verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in Him. They said, When the Christ appears, will He do more signs than this this man has done? Some of them looked at the signs the miracles the teachings the authority of jesus and they asked the questions if the messiah is going to come is he going to do more things than this man like what else more could he possibly do some looked at his activities looked at the miraculous work looked at the authority looked at the teaching and said we think this really is the one who is to come we think this is the messiah well, people step, kept wondering. The, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering in verse 32 about these things, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Um, it is just a very volatile scene in Jerusalem, which makes what Jesus does on the last day of the feast so awesome. We've seen it time and time again as we've been walking through the Gospel of John. Jesus is not afraid. He is not afraid. He walks with the security of knowing his Father has given him a mission. And he is going to stand up at the end of this festival on the last day of the feast. And he is going to say something to them. And the significance has many layers to it To it being on the last day of this feast. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is that it wasn't just my Father who was providing in the wilderness. I am the true provision for you To celebrate something in the past and miss the true provision. Me is to miss the entire point of the provision that God provided in the wilderness. Here's what he says on the last day. We're back to it. Verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers Of living water, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Um, We're going to have to do some work here to understand what's going on. When we hear the word heart, Jesus used the word heart, and we see that something good is going to flow from heart, from the heart. We've got to ask, how on earth is that possible? Because the Bible actually says several things about the human heart, and it's not good. It's not pretty. It's not healthy. It's The heart is wicked, deceitful. We're going to look at that here in a second. But Jesus is saying that if you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. There's going to be done something inside of you, deep in your desire, deep in your guts, deep inside of you, something that these festivals can't accomplish, something that the law can't accomplish, something that you can't accomplish for yourself. If you believe in me, I'll do something in you that you've been searching for all along and never been able to find. So let's do a little bit of work. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. When we think about living waters, here's what, uh, here's what God said to his people in the Old Testament in verse 13 of Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils, okay? Two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So number one, they forsook the fountain of living waters. And this is just kind of a type. This is not just Israel here, because we're talking about the very people of God in the Old Testament here. This is all, this is not not to mention all of the nations around them, all of the peoples of the world. God, as he's inter, interacting with Jerusalem or with, with Israel, is saying, You have forsaken me, and I'm the fountain of living waters. And the second thing is this: not only did they forsake the living waters, it, they hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water so the people essentially said this god you don't satisfy my heart i can do better with my own hands and i am going to make for myself things and fill up these cisterns for myself that i think will satisfy and god says they won't satisfy they're broken so the people rejected the one who satisfies, the one that has living waters and is the living water. And they made for themselves things that couldn't hold water. that cracks in it. And they put their hopes and they put their dreams and they put their desires all in this bucket, this bucket that's broken. And God said, these are two evils. You've rejected me and you've thought you can do better for yourself than what I can provide for you. And this still happens today. They chased other things. They made things for themselves. Uh, Our world does this like crazy. God doesn't satisfy. My dreams will satisfy me. And if I just get to that next plateau of life, I'll be satisfied. If I get that next thing, I've told you this before, but it's kind of comical, but hopefully it serves the point well. When I was in grade school... Couldn't wait to be in third grade because um, third grade was around the corner. And boy, the third, fourth, and fifth graders, those were the big kids. And if you get around the corner, you're now in the big—you're in the elite group. And I got into third grade and I realized, okay, I want to be in fifth grade. Fifth grader is the oldest. And then, you know what? You get to fifth grade and you're like, hmm, there's this thing called junior high. And you get into junior high, you look forward to that. And you think, well, boy, when I get to junior high... Then you get to high school, and everybody knows that high school years are the most important years in all of life, right? So, um, high schoolers are the only ones who think that. Um, Sadly, many men and women still try to act like high schoolers for the rest of their life. Chasing the joy they think they had then. Um, High school's it. When I get into high school, that's it. Buddies, friends, laughter. Laughter is confused for happiness. Goofing off, doing silly, stupid things, where you're laughing, where you're so, laughing so hard, your abs are sore for like a week, and I mean, you laugh so hard you almost threw up. Soda came out of your nose, right? Or other beverages if you were having really fun, and a lot of fun in high school. So you get to that point and you realize this isn't it, or at least you should. These are broken cisterns. They hold no water. They have promises and they don't fulfill. And God tells the people, You rejected me and I satisfy, and you built for yourself things that are broken. And you put all your hopes there, you put all your dreams there. And you think, When I get there, when I get that, when I arrive at this point, I'll be satisfied. This is the problem with the human heart. We think we, we can do better than God. That God is cool, but what's really cool is me getting my way. Jeremiah 17 says it pretty clearly about the human heart. It actually says this. I'll read it real quick. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? You want to get yourself in a lot of trouble? Follow your heart. Just do what feels right. Just follow your heart. But remember, Jesus says that out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. How is that going to happen if here we see that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? This is the problem of the human condition. It's not that they make bad decisions. Humans make bad decisions because they have dead, sinful, deceitful hearts. Decisions flow from the heart. If you've got a wicked heart, you're going to make wicked decisions. That's why to make good decisions, godly decisions, to honor God, you need a heart transplant. There needs to be a new heart put within you. And oh, praise God, there's something in the Old Testament that testifies to the fact that there's going to be a day when new hearts will be put into people. Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews chapter 10 hits on this as well. Quoting this passage, but Jeremiah 31 says this, prophesying about a one-day reality prophesying about the human heart, more specifically about the new covenant. Here's what Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says as we stay in the prophet Jeremiah for a minute. for a minute, Verse 33, 31 to 33, excuse me. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand. To bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband. Declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days. Declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. We get this word again. We get this promise that there's going to be a day. When the very Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. Will be put in the being of people. The Holy Spirit of God will not just be in place anymore, but it will be in persons. The Holy Spirit will come into our hearts. We will have the law written upon our hearts. God will do something internally, the inner person. And friends, this is good news because when we had that opportunity as humans, we made cisterns for ourselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And we had wanderings and longings that continued to go unmet. Humanity tried and chased and failed and tried and chased and failed and put their dreams in this bucket and then they arrived at their dreams and realized, now I've got a whole new set of dreams. And then they accomplished those dreams and they get there and realize, you know what, there's another mountain to climb. And then they climb that mountain and they're like, yeah, that was cool, but there's a bigger mountain over there. And the human heart continues to wander, continue, but God is going to do something. And so now we get, and we're going to read it for a third time, back to John chapter 7 and hear the living water's words again. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up, cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That if you come to Jesus, the deepest longings of your heart will be satisfied. You will find purpose and meaning and joy in the mundane. You will not have to be the kind of person that always lives as if tomorrow is going to be the day when my heart is satisfied or next week is going to be the day when I get this thing or arrive at this point, I'll finally be satisfied. The world chases this so much and Jesus says, if you come to me here, your heart is going to be overflowing with rivers of living water. Like, how wonderful is this? That you, Jordan and I, and Ransom, we were laying on the floor the other night in our 1973 trailer, okay? It's awesome. Love it. Actually, God has so provided for us in this 1973 trailer. Not a brand new home. Like, the furthest thing from it. Well, not the furthest thing from it. I guess there's older homes. But but not a new home. We're laying on our floor in this Ransom's little back room. And we're just laying there, and we're looking up at fish. Just simple life, looking up at fish on the sky. Not not real fish. Like there's fish on the ceiling here. Let me. There's a projector, and it puts fish. And every time a new fish comes by, ransom goes. <laughs> 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 and so, of course, Jordan and I are like, <laughs> you know, we look up, and I jump up and act like I'm poking it in the eyes. And the the provision of God. I, it it was, I I don't even have words to express how wonderful that was. Like, we don't have a lot of things. People would look at us and say, oh, they're, Probably, I don't know, on the success scale, I have no idea where people would put us, but I'm telling you, God satisfies. I was sitting up this morning, a buddy of mine sent me a song, and we were thinking about rivers of water flowing from my heart, and my times with Jesus this week, as I've been in the Word, just sitting in my office early in the morning with my cup of coffee, and the Bible open, and just singing these songs over and over again, and just praising God, like, the the joy, like, God's rivers of living water flowing outside, uh, in, from the inside, the heart. There's so much joy. And I'm telling you, everybody longs for, gosh, it's 930, no, 932, um, ladies in here, long, let's just use somebody like Taylor Swift. We'll use Taylor Swift and John Mayer. Okay, they're not together anymore. Sad breakup, I know, but, um, they've written songs about each other and all this kind of stuff. And, and we'll just use those two for, for a real quick point, okay? Uh, Taylor Swift, a lot of ladies a lot of girls look up to taylor swift and want to be like taylor swift i could, if i could only have that life they think but her life is oh it's so wonderful and what they don't realize is that a majority of taylor swift's life you know what she's doing waking up every single day with the expectations of a new song being written that's going to be a, a hit and she is every day with calluses on her fingers going through a Monday routine, mundane routine day, week in, week out, in a studio doing the same old thing. It's the same Monday again, the same thing I do every Monday. A routine ritual th- that every single day, the mundane things of life, she still has to do. And most of us run from that. Just, oh, we want our life to be more than mundane. We want a life like Taylor Swift. And you know what? Taylor Swift is like. Boy, I wish I could just go to McDonald's and not be hounded. Um, Ashton Kutcher, we're not—we're not, we're not going to use John Mayer. Ashton Kutcher said this: I, "I really wish that I could mow my yard in peace, with nobody taking a picture of me. I wish I could mow my yard. Who all has the privilege of doing that? As other people, privilege. I say some of you are like, no, that's not a privilege." As other people, as you are look, most people look at other people's lives and envious of them. Oh, their hearts are satisfied. And these other people over here are looking at other people's lives and saying, boy, I wish I had a satisfied life as they have. And Jesus is saying, the rat race is over. Okay, everything that you think you get in this festival, everything you're doing externally to try try to satisfy your heart, even doing things for God, festival, feast of booths, if you come to me, you'll have it. Out of your heart will flow these rivers of living water. The more of Jesus you have, honestly, the less, less entertainment you need. Like, I'm not saying that entertainment's bad, but if you're satisfied in Him, I'm telling you, the rat race is over, folks. Really. Now, we have to make a couple comments, and since I'm, I'm going to go fast, okay? Now, Jesus said this. Look at verse... We're not going to have the time to get through, so let me just think through here. There's several more passages. Verse 39, 39 uh, says this. Now, He said this about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So how does Jesus satisfy If we come to Jesus, out of us will flow rivers of living water. Well, how? Well, because Jesus baptizes us with His Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian in here, it's because the Holy Spirit has done a work in you. The Holy Spirit brings life. And then Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit time and time and time again. Without getting into controversial things or anything like that. The the title, John the Baptist, over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gives to Jesus is that Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. Baptizer, excuse me, with the Holy Spirit. The Bible actually in not a single case says baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says that Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. With. He's a baptizer with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. And then the central activity of the Holy Spirit is this. In John chapter 16 verse 14 it says this. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. So how do we have living waters flowing through us? Well, because Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And then when we have the Holy Spirit within us as believers, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, Jesus Christ. And when we think about the Son, Jesus Christ being glorified because of the activity of the Holy Spirit in our life, our hearts are overflowing with joy. When we think about Jesus providing for us in our wilderness of life, and the Holy Spirit brings us to see, hey, this this is a gift from your big brother Jesus. Hey, when you think about that sin that you cannot forget, and think about the fact that God does not remember it because of Jesus, you have overflowing joy, rivers of delight that flow through you. When you think about what you deserve, and yet what you get in Jesus, as the Holy Spirit shows you what you have been given, is so much different than what you deserve. Rivers of delight flow over in your heart. Rivers, plural, not just a, a river, satisfaction to the brim, to the fill, to the overflow. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, glorifying the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to have to be done. Couple comments. So, right now, the Holy Spirit should be, and I believe is, driving you to Jesus. And you are being satisfied in Him. I hope that's been the case this morning. We've taken a long roundabout way. Non-Christian, you're always going to have questions. Let me just ask you, are you satisfied, deep as long as your heart, or do you think you'll be satisfied then? Or when? Or in what way? You are filling up your hopes in broken cisterns. You're going to get there and you're going to realize this isn't it. Broken cisterns you make for yourself. Believe in Jesus and He will do a work in you. Your hearts will be satisfied. And it's this crazy thing. He satisfies your hearts and then He makes you thirsty for more. Only God can do that. Christian, out of your heart comes rivers that worship jesus rivers of delight that thank him a life of gratitude your heart internal is really changed you have a new heart you have been changed supernaturally god apprehended you he gave you a heart transplant and out of it jesus says if you believe in him will come rivers of living water what is coming out of you What's coming out of you? When you're bumped, what spills out? What's going on internally? I'm not talking about external action and what people think you're like. I'm talking about what's going on inside of you. God has brought you to Him. He gave you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Don't miss the satisfaction that it is in Jesus. Don't be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Don't buy the lie that satisfaction comes in the broken cisterns of the law. Broken cisterns of your dreams. Broken cisterns of the festival of booths or the feast of booths. What you do for God. Don't buy the lie that satisfaction comes in your activity for God. It's broken cisterns. Your activity is always going to be broken. When you're putting your hopes and your dreams and what you do for God, it's a broken cistern. God supplies. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to help. We've got to be done. Father God, we thank you for this time. Uh, Thank you for your grace to us. And uh, Holy Spirit, work in us. Jesus, thank you for giving us your spirit, whom you will give to us. You have given us your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts right now. Deep down, we're like in the seat of affections, that our affections would be stirred. Desire would be stirred and satisfied in you, Jesus. That we would not be a wandering people of heart any longer. That, That we would be satisfied. And thank you that, Jesus, you do this. Holy Spirit, have your way in the men and women who are here. We got to go. We got to leave. We got time and we got to be here and be there and do that. I just pray, God, if there's anybody here that you're working in in this time, that they would come forward as everybody else is exiting and leaving and going to eat or wherever. I pray that they would come, that they would believe in you, Jesus. And they would find these living waters flowing from within them. They would find that their heart has changed from being deceitfully wicked to above all above all else to being now a vessel in which the Holy Spirit flows in and out of and through. Working power in Jesus' name. Amen. You are free to go.